BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The following is a presentation of the Speed Sport Podcast Network. Mike Wallace doesn't have all that much driving experience. For the last three or four years, he's put in his dues in this business. Mike Wallace comes down to the line. He'll pick up the win. It's fast car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. The battles for the lead. Mike Wallace gets by Jason Leffler. Mike Wallace comes off turn number four. A great move in that corner. He comes to the line and will win. From grassroots to the top of the racing world. Hear the stories of NASCAR's biggest names and how they made it all the way. Who was Tony Stewart before he was Tony Stewart? I could barely make enough money to pay attention, let alone to try to survive. So, I mean, I was doing it all myself. Presented by Crosley. Amplify your style. Here are your hosts, Mike Wallace and Jeff Kent. Welcome to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace, part of the Speed Sport Podcast Network presented by Crosley. My name is Jeff Kent. Strap yourselves in, polos belts tight. We'll take you on a journey from short tracks across America to super speedways and everything in between. We're brought to you today by Brady Mechanical Services out of Clements, Maryland. HVAC install, maintenance and repair, Brady Mechanical Service at gmail.com. Today's guest, Mike, competed primarily in the ARCA Racing Series for from 1990 through 2016, where he was the man, winning the ARCA championship 10 times, including eight consecutive. Wow. He won the championship in 1998, then 2000 through 2007, and again in 2013. Debuted in 1990, 503 starts, 80 wins, 45 poles. He is currently with David Gilliland Racing. Say hi and welcome to the podcast, Frank Kimmel. Here's Mike Wallace. <laughs> Hey, Michael, this is, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. Can, I mean, J- Jeff, can you believe that career 10-time champion? That's, I mean, that's like they, own, owning it. Every time you line up, you know you're going to win. Yeah, I mean, they, they talk about, <laughs> I, I've been lately, everybody, well, who's the goat of this or the goat of that, you know? Jimmy Johnson's won seven championships. Dale Earnhardt, seven. Richard Petty, seven. Frank Kimmel, ten! Ten. Yeah. Eight, eight consecutive. <laughs> yeah, that, that's impressive. Well, it's a little different level, so, but I appreciate it. it uh, in, in our level, I guess it was good, and uh, it's, it was a good time to be a race car driver for sure. Well, 
Frank, I'd like to talk about your early years in racing, and uh, which a lot of people don't know. And Frank Kimmel and I raced against each other, but never at the same track in 1990. 1990, man. That's yeah. 32 years ago. <laughs> it we is. Were... You know, it doesn't sound like that long ago, but that was 32 years yeah, ago. It's I... amazing. And most of the drivers now, Mike, weren't born then. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, we were running for the NASCAR Mid-America Regional Championship, and he was running over in Kentucky, and I was running in Missouri. And we had a contested battle and uh, ended up uh, – I, I think I got him by a few points and won that thing. And here, all these years later, he, he's the man. He's a 10-time champion. Well. So, <laughs> Frank, tell me about the early days before that, uh, you know, before that 1990 era. When did you first have any interest in racing? How did you even grow up with interest in it? Well, it, it, I grew up in it, Mike, uh, much like you did, I'm sure. My, uh, my father was racing. I think he started in 48. And... Um, so when we, when I was born, he was, uh, um, you know, he was already in the middle of racing and, and I was born in 62, pretty close to the same year as you, I believe, Mike. And, uh, we, um, 59. you know, we, we yeah. just, Who's uh, kidding okay, who? yeah, pretty close. Who's I said, who? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, we, uh, you know, I, I was at the racetrack, I'm sure, uh, you know, a couple of weeks after I was born and, uh, we just grew up in it, me and my brother and my, I have an older brother, Tom, that was involved in it too. And, uh, we just, um, you know, just kind of grew up helping dad and keeping his cars going. And through the sixties, um, I was just a kid of course, and, and was more, you know, get out of the way type guy than I was helping. And, uh, but dad raced for a living and, uh, you know, three or four times a week he was running, a uh, actually back in the day, it was a, like a dirt late model. And, um, so if Bill and I would have been four or five years older, probably, we probably would have been dirt racers. Um, but about the time that we got old enough to really start helping him, he had changed over to running some, uh, blacktop and stuff. So, uh, we actually kind of grew up in the blacktop world more than we did the dirt world. And, uh, it was a good time to be alive. I mean, it was, uh, really cool. And, and you, that's back when you built your own race car and, uh, had a little three car garage there behind the house and we went racing out of there every week. So what was the first race car, or how did you, I know you grew up around racing, but how did you get the first opportunity to sit down as the driver in the car? <laughs> well, um, we were at the Fairgrounds Motor Speedway, which uh, I wasn't, I was 15, so I really wasn't supposed to be in the pits. Back in those days, as you well know, Mike, that it was it was difficult to be in the pits when you were a kid. Uh, it, I can actually remember when women weren't allowed in the pits. Uh, can you imagine that? And uh, so, um, but I had a good buddy that I had helped build a race car with, and, and I was, you know, in the middle of helping him get a race ready and get it go to the racetrack. And so, uh, that night he said, Hey, why don't you drive the heat race? And, uh, dad didn't even know I was in the pits. And so I hopped in his car and it was a little Mustang, um, drove off into turn one on the first lap and shoved the clutch in instead of the brake. And. That was big. So I learned not to do that again pretty quick. And, uh, we got a problem. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we come in and beat the fender out of the right front fender out of it and went back out and finished the race. So uh, it was, uh, I don't know, I, I'm guessing that was like in 77, 76, 77, something like that. So how was it that you, your buddy says, hey, hop in and drive the car? Had you guys been 
practice and test and driving up and down the driveway, anything like that beforehand, or just kind of that was on Not a dare? really. <laughs> uh, he uh, kind of more of that, I think. Uh, Joe uh, Joe Lee, actually went to school with Bill. He was he's four or five years older than me, and uh, he um, he was kind of like a brother to us, and just was always hanging around. And you know, I, I gave as much time and effort as as anybody, and uh, you know, he just thought it would be cool to let me go out and do it, and. Uh, after I did it, I don't know if you thought it was so cool or not. Yeah. So I'm curious, <laughs> if, if you're not supposed to be in the pits when you're 15 at that time, how old did you have to be? 18? 16. 16. Gotcha. Yeah, once you got your driver's license, you could go in. And um, it was, uh, I, like I say, uh, and probably nowadays, not the smartest thing. Nowadays, some of these kids are driving. Hell, they're driving in the truck series but, b- before they're yeah. 16, 15, 16 yeah, years if you, old. If you, you know? don't have a career established by 12 right. now, you're Sorry, nobody. Yeah. You're too old. We're going to put you <laughs> yeah, in the development program. Yeah. You know, it's it's <laughs> it's unique you say that, uh, Frank and Jeff, when talk about ages, my mother, back when we lived in St. Louis, she had to go to the St. Louis County Courts and get a parental rights waiver for my brother Rusty and myself to drive a race car at 15 and a half. No, no kidding. Yeah, wow. I had to go through all sorts of stuff. Because you had to be 16. Had to be 16. But did yeah. you have to have a driver's yeah. license? Or, or yeah, no? no, no, we didn't have to have a driver's license because we couldn't get that at that time. But, uh, and I don't know what made it that we wanted to be the race car drivers at 15 and a half, you know, but uh, I guess we, we thought we were the modern day Jeff Gordon or something like couldn't that. Wait, right? <laughs> Early in the day. Could've set the world on fire. Yeah. <laughs> That's it's amazing how that is, and um, like you say, nowadays, I mean, I've, I've helped a lot of these kids that are 14, 15 years old, and it's kind of funny, Mike, they come in to the to the, our shops, and they bring their mom, because <laughs> they can't drive here, <laughs> so it's really funny. Make sure you always hire good ones with good-looking moms. <laughs> <laughs> well... The other funny thing, Mike, is they're all too young for us, buddy. So <laughs> you can't even do that anymore. <laughs> wow. So, so you roll through that uh, early 70s or the 76, 77 era. And uh, right in, I got my day. That was the first time you got in a race car. Knocked it all, knocked the right front off a little bit there. Then, then how did your career pro- progress? How did you come to racing for a living? Well, it. Um, after that, I, I just I eventually built my own car, um, and I, I think it was a, a 67 Mercury Cougar was the like the first car I went to the junkyard and drug it at, drug it back home, and and the only reason I got a Mercury Cougar was because it had a four speed in it, and um, so I didn't want to have to fool with an automatic or anything. So we got that built, and I went to the racetrack, and the the very first night I took it to the track they announced after the heat races that we were going to run the figure eight for the features and nobody knew that. And, um, and I didn't really care for that too much. Uh, I actually told Bill, I said, you know, I'm going to go out and try this. And if I don't like it, I'm coming in the first red flag and you take over. And he said, okay, I'll be ready. And, um, so I ended up, we, we had enough time to dad made us make sure that the, the front end parts were adjustable enough to where you could work on them. So I immediately put some camber in the left front, and I, I had some of those twisty things you put in the springs to make them stiffer, and I put those in the left front and reloaded the sway bar the wrong way. And uh, so we went out in the feature. Nobody really got ready except me. And so I ended up winning the feature. And um, it was a big night, you know, and I'm, I'm now ready for NASCAR. Uh, you know, uh, I know more than everybody else in the garage, so let's go, you know. But <laughs> it was uh, – 
then I think the next week we blew it up. So it wasn't that I was really that ready. But yeah. uh, we just kept dabbling with street stocks, and I really couldn't do it full time very much because I was running out of my own pocket and trying to go to school and college and and um, uh, just kept dabbling with it. And a local guy by the name of Buddy Rauch was I would deliver parts to him. We had Kimmel Auto Parts, and I was the the delivery driver half the day and. Uh, Buddy and I got to be friends, and he would go to the racetrack and help out. And he got me ri- a ride in a late model. He said, you need to get out of these street stocks. So I started driving for a guy by the name of Donnie Loweth, and we ran a couple years with Donnie and, and had moderate success. It kind of turned some heads a little bit. Uh, and then um, Buddy also was a good friend of Dick Schroeder, which I, I bet you guys have dealt with Dick in, in the past. He's, he's, he's passed away now, but – it was Sea Line Engineering made the oil pans. Yeah, I remember and, that name. Uh, the Sea Line, yep. I remember. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so Dick and I got to be really close, and I actually went to work for him for a while. And uh, he built my first really good late model for the local track, and we won a couple championships with it. And then I s- sold that car to uh, uh, a gentleman named Terry Shirley, and you probably know Terry also, I know Mike. Terry, yeah. He, yeah, he worked. Uh, for um, uh, the radiator place up in Indy and, and was just a, he, at the time he owned his own gas station and um, he just hardest working guy you ever wanted to see. And uh, I, I won a couple championships with Terry and, and then uh, we won at Louisville Speedway, the new Louisville Speedway in 1990. Uh, and then the following year, a good friend of mine, uh, Jack Wallace, who had an ARCA car, uh, Jack was a, a one-man band. He he might take one guy with him to go to the racetrack and and try to run an ARCA race, and it was a pretty good race car. And uh, he just he, he said, I can't do this anymore. I can't afford it. Uh, it's too hard on him. And uh, he said, You all just take it and race it. And uh, that's what we did. And that was my, my first ARCA start. I think it was in 1990. Just I think we ran a couple races just wherever we could. I think it was Toledo was my very first start. And then in '92. Uh, Terry went down, and we bought a, a Pontiac from Kale Yarborough, and that was our Speedway car. We ran Daytona, Talladega, Atlanta, Charlotte, everything with that car, and then uh, all the short track cars with the car that we had got from Wallace, and uh, uh, we won Rookie of the Year in 92 that year. I was going to say 1990, ARCA Permatech Supercar Series, you raced for Wallace Racing, which yep, was, that was no relation, right? No relation. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if it had been the real Wallace racing, I'd have had better equipment. So see, that's the thing. <laughs> well, it's I know Mike, about, he's not going to go out there, right? <laughs> about, about what we're talking about right there, though, you said 1990, and that's when we ran the late models in the in the NASCAR divisions against each other. And yep. Ne- never competed against each other, but uh, ran points against each other at that point. So. Yeah, that, that NASCAR deal, which I, I don't know if they still do it at that level like we did, that was really a cool deal because I, I can remember – and now it would be a lot easier because you'd have the Internet to watch so much. But I can remember uh, trying to find the trade papers and see how you did that night and hopefully that you blew up or something, but you never did. <laughs> but uh, We had one of those, I call it Larry Phillips years there. You know, we won a bunch oh, yeah. of races there. But, you know, the Winston Racing Series when it grew up, that was, I mean, I I truly dedicate that. It was a catalyst to a career for me. We uh yeah, where I happened to win that championship in 1990, and then uh, had the opportunities to come to this, you know, to the Carolinas in '91. But uh, damn, ten-time champion, Kim. Well, I'm just, 
<laughs> I told my wife last night I was putting stuff together, and I says, you know, I says, as Frank and I were racing against each other, I was wondering what direction both of us would go. And I said, now he's a 10-time champion and a Hall of Famer. You know, he just got introduced into the NMPA. No kidding. NASCAR Hall, or Hall of Fame, Motorsports Hall of Fame. Feather in his cap. Yeah, he's got a lot of feathers there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, Mike, you know how it is. I mean, it was uh, – first of all, I never thought I could to race full-time ever. And, you know, as Terry and I was – I was still working at Kimmel Auto Parts and, um, you know, was driving well, let me stop the you there. Arctic car. Was Kimmel Auto Parts just – just that an auto parts store, or what? What was it? Yeah, involved? we had a we had a we had a small auto parts store, and uh, and then we had like a two bay garage, um, and then that was. I mean, I, I can work on cars, but I really don't like to have to work on street cars that much, and uh, so I got the opportunity to start building race cars, and so uh, we took one of the side shops that we had there. A little uh, is actually a, an old realtor. Uh, that was right there at the corner of our house where my, my dad and mom's house was. And, uh, I turned that into a shop. And so I started doing roll cages and chassis and whatever I could to, to make a penny. And, um, that kind of got me in, even more involved with the racing side of it. And this is all the same time I'm running for Terry and, and trying to run some arc races and trying to run some late model races when I could. And, um, just bouncing around a lot at that point. And, uh, uh, Terry was good enough. We 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 could run the whole season, but it was just really a hard deal. And you can you imagine trying to run the same car Daytona and then take turn it over and and take it to Atlanta nowadays? I mean, they well maybe not Atlanta now. That's if you, yeah. you messed up the track. But well, hold that thought right there, Frank. Let's have Jeff take us to break, and we'll be right back, and we'll pick up on that running that same car. We're talking to ten yes, time sir. ARCA champion Frank Kimmel. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the Crosley Speed Sports Studios. This is Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Brady Mechanical Services, HVAC install, maintenance, and repair. Brady Mechanical Service at gmail.com. Ten-time ARCA champion, eight consecutive. Frank Kimmel joins us. And once again, here's Mike Wallace. Well, Frank, let's go back to what we were talking about. You guys used the same car, like two race cars. <laughs> And during the break, we actually had quite a complex conversation going that we had to stop, and we said we'd discuss later on the show here. But that was tell, a material we had to shut up a, and yeah. bring it back for seg two here. Yeah. So tell me about how, how you ran so limited amount of cars. Are that just what happened in the day, or you just guys made it work? Well, I mean, we—that's all we had. Uh, you know, Terry, as I said before, you know, he owned a, a, a Shell gas station, and uh, you know, worked hard, made a good living, but. You know, racing is expensive, and even back then it was expensive. And so he was. Uh, I remember at one point I think we had three um, four nine-inch gears, uh, or actually carriers, and he would change the gears out between each race, every race. Um, so I mean, you, you just do with what you got. And we we struggled and, and worked hard and. Uh, kept the car on the racetrack, tried not to tear it up as you know as very little as we could, and uh, we were able to uh, win the rookie of the year that year. I think we were like fifth in the points or something, and uh, just hung out, you know. Hey, when you say that about you raced the car and tried not to tear it up, we're seeing a little aggressiveness in in different forms of racing this year. People are talking about it. I mean. Did you really set out 
and how did you do it? I, I guess would be more of the question. How did you set out to race, but stay out of trouble? What what me, what brain set does that take? Well, honestly, Mike, all the way back to my dad when I started racing. You know, he dad was a money racer, and he would even up to the point when he was 91 years old and he, I'd go out to go racing somewhere. He'd say, you know, you got to finish that race. You know, only one lap pace. That's the last one. So, um, we just kind of got that bred into us and, uh, you know, working on the cars as, as you guys have done all your lives and stuff, you, you respect them. Uh, it takes a lot of work to put it back together when you do something dumb. And, uh, so you just, I don't know, I guess the, the NASCAR guys are the best, at running closest to a hundred percent than everybody else. And that's why you make it to that level. And so if you can run your car at 96, 97%, we'll say like Kyle Larson does, you see his hands, you know, he'll be leading by a straightaway somewhere and you can watch him and he is driving the hell out of that car up off the turn. Um, a normal race car driver can't do that. And so you step further back away from that edge so that you know you don't you bring that car back home without doing something dumb and losing it and overcorrecting and knocking the right front off of it or something. So it, it, it's just a, a I don't know. I guess you just have to be a bit more conservative. Uh, you see a hole ahead of you, you you can be a hero or a zero, and sometimes you just got to step back and be a zero for a lap or two. I got you. So the big thing then was just finishing races. Don't worry about oh hey I was leading when I knocked a fence down or anything and but yeah yeah or trying to take the lead but. So where does it go from there? That you're driving for Shirley, and you guys are running well. You won the Rookie of the Year, and uh, what's the next step? Well, we we go. I think it was like four four years, three years, and didn't win. Uh, never won a race, and finally in Toledo, I think in I don't know '94, something like that. I won my first race, and uh, what a relief that was. You know, you just holy smokes, can I ever win one at this level? You know, and. Mm -hmm. Finally won one at Toledo, which is the track that I got my first start at. And uh, kind of, you know, that Toledo was always really good to us. And I think we ended up winning nine, nine times, I think, at that place. And um, just a good racetrack. And so, uh, Terry, we, we go on another year, I think, after that. And Terry comes to me and he says, you know, I, I just can't keep doing this. It's just getting so expensive. And, and I knew it was coming. Uh, uh, I felt like there's times I should have probably stepped up and said, Terry, you need to stop this, you know, cause I don't want to make his family go broke, you know? And so, uh, it, it was almost a little bit of a relief for me because I knew how hard it was on him and his family. And, uh, he, he got a job offer with Dave Marcus to come down to, uh, Asheville, I believe it was, and, uh, become, uh, his crew chief. And so, you know, he jumped at that and, um, uh, he didn't actually move. He moved down. And I think he had an apartment, but they he, they kept their home in Seymour, Indiana, um, and that's where they live to this day. So, you know, I was uh, I, at that point. I didn't think I was going to race anymore. I didn't know. I figured I'd just run a late model or whatever I could at the local tracks. And uh, a guy by the name of Dan Faldorf called out of the blue. Didn't know who he was. Knew his car, um, and he said. Hey, uh, I, I heard you didn't have a ride. Would you be interested in driving our ARCA car? I'd like for you to come up and look at it. And Dan only had an ARCA car that runs short tracks, and he, he didn't have any Speedway stuff. Uh, but I went up to his place, which was up near Dayton, Ohio, walked in, and he, he had taken, I think it was an OIGA store, 
and gutted it and made it a shop. So it was a really nice shop, big, well lit. And um, I look around. And there's two. There's a Hal, brand new Hal Arca short track car, and then there's a left hander short track car, both in excellent shape and had four Dream engines, two V6s and two V8s and you know, I'm thinking, holy smokes, I, I've never seen anything like this. We, we've never had this much. And uh, he asked me, he said, you think we can be competitive? And I told him, I said, we don't win in this. You need to get another driver because we should win here. And uh, and we, we actually did. I think our second race together, we were at, I believe it was Pensacola, Florida, and uh, and won the race. And they were just ecstatic. We were just, uh, we, we really clicked well and, and had a good bunch and, so at that time, a guy by the name of Larry Clement called us, which I knew his cars. He he was a 46 car, and uh, Bob Hill was driving for him. Uh, Bob was a from out in Iowa, a great dirt car, late model racer. And uh, uh, Bob had decided uh, that they would run only speedways, and they needed somebody to run their number on the short track. So we kind of did a joint deal that year. And uh, I would run 46 on the short tracks. He would run the 46 on the speedways. And at the end of the year, the owner's point standings is what was paying. You know, we would we would have a good owner's point finish, we thought. And we we did. We actually, I think, ran second that year in the owner's points. So um, Now, Frank, in that time, what, when you guys went to the racetrack, give, give the fans an understanding. Was there a, a large group of guys that went with you, or is it just a couple people, or – and did anybody get paid, or was everybody doing it for the fun of it? Well, when with Terry Shirley's days, um, you know, Terry uh, had probably five or six that would come over at night at the shop, maybe two or three, and work at night after work, and they didn't get paid. And they didn't get paid to go to the racetrack. Um, you know, we Terry would take care of the motel rooms and, and take care of food, and the uh, rest of it was kind of on them. And uh, what a – you know, phenomenal bunch of guys. And then Dan's team, he had a, a full-time crew chief, uh, Jeff Lemons, who actually works here at DGR with us now. He's a, he's our uh, fabricator, one of our fab guys. And uh, But Jeff worked full-time, and, and that's all he had was just one full-time guy and then had some other guys that worked part-time also. Uh, probably went to the racetrack. You know, we had to do our own pit stops. So by the time the race would come around, there was probably seven or eight of their total, and probably five or six of them weren't getting paid. And gotcha. uh, yeah, so it you know it was a well, it's just kind of explaining to everybody how how the sport has progressed. You know, or uh, whether exactly. it's good or bad, it's you know you you just have all your buddies go to the racetrack with you and have fun. You it's know, just like you, Mike. You, right, you don't work for free. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Mike is smarter than I was, though. So that's that was his big thing. He knew how to do this better than I did. <laughs> no, but uh, so you you made the agreement with uh, Larry Clement, you and the other gentleman. They raced. You guys raced the forty six number uh, combined, and then what happens? Because that's when all the success started clicking thereafter. Yeah, I mean it. It, it really turned around and. Uh, Larry was actually kind of responsible for me getting the Dan Faldorf deal um, because at the and again I didn't really know Larry I saw him walk through the pits but I, I didn't really talk to him or anything and he uh, he made it at the banquet he said you know this this kid that runs the O2 car then uh, he didn't have a ride next year somebody needs to pick him up and, which was really nice for him to say you know and uh, but 
so the following year, you know, we, we think we're going to do the split thing again. And, um, Larry calls and said, Hey, Bob decided to move to Charlotte and, and get a real job. Bob was in his forties at that time. And uh, he told Larry, he said, you know, I, I need to get a job and start thinking about the end of this deal and take care of the family and stuff. And, um, so he said, uh, I've got a couple speedway cars and I've got two or three motors and I had some spot. He had some sponsorship money with uh, different companies, and he said, "If you guys want all this stuff, I'll send it to Ohio, and you guys run it all all year. Run as long as you can until we run out of money." Hmm. So that's how it all started happening. So he sent everything to Ohio, and and Dan's guys got everything running, and we went to Daytona and started racing for the whole year. And uh, we ended up, I think, second in the points that year, and had a. Uh, you know, a decent year, and then um, won a couple times, and then come back the following year. I think that would have been '98, and that was our first championship year, and uh, really, really ran well that year. So that's something I just learned. I didn't know. So you were racing under um, what I, I call Clements, what I thought number name, but you were racing that with Dan up in Ohio. Then you're saying it wasn't like out of Clements shop or anything at that point. No, at, at soon, the first year that we ran full time with with Larry, um, it it was coming out of Ohio, and uh, and then the very following year we, I don't know, we went to Daytona and ran okay, and we went to Atlanta, set on the pole, and I think we ended up third, and then Dan calls me on the literally on the way home from the racetrack and said, "Hey man, I I'm gonna do something different," and I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "I, I just uh, it just takes too much time away from the family and stuff and." He said, I wanted to tell you, because at that time, the, there was a pretty good layoff between Atlanta and the next race. He said, you know, you, you, this will give you some time to figure out what you're going to do. And then he moved, uh, we moved the, the race shop to Louisville, to Dave Emery's shop, which was right way grinding, um, which had always helped me and Bill through the years at, at the local. I used to see that on your cars, right way, yeah. Okay. Yeah, right way, yeah. Dave was a very instrumental part of, of having any success in racing and, and all the way to the grassroots, you know, late model deal up to, and, and when I would come home, even with, with Jack Wallace's cars and stuff, uh, I could always count on Dave, you know, putting a sticker on the car and buying some a couple sets of tires or something. And, uh, just a really, really good guy for us. And, uh, so Dave had a, I think it was, 1800 square feet shop on the back of his main shop which he had a really big grinding saw and tool high-end cnc machine shop and uh, uh it was air conditioned and but we would have we could put two cars in it and then everything else had to stay in the trailers um and we just kind of rotate them out as you had to work on them and we, we did that for a couple years until we finally moved to southern indiana uh which is only 20 minutes away from that shop and uh uh, we got a we got our own building at that point in New Albany and and that's when we really started going through all the championships and stuff. When you won those championships and we haven't even got on or talked about him yet, you talked about him very quick early on. Did your brother Bill was he helping you at that time? I mean, he was kind of a or did that come at a later point or? Well, in '98 with our first championship, uh, Jeff Lemons did that one, okay. and uh, uh, then in '99. Jeff got a job offer um, to go and be a crew chief at a, uh, I think it was Jack Bowser's, um, which was right there by his home and, and, and 
Ohio and everything. So it was a, it was an excellent fit for him at that point. So I didn't have a crew chief, and Bill had just won his fourth straight late model championship at Louisville Speedway, and um, it was getting pretty hairy over there. I mean, you know, you know how it is when you start dominating, and half the field loves you, and half the tra- or half the fans love you, and half the fans hate you. Hey, hold that and, thought. Uh, hold that thought right there. Oh, let's, let's bring it back on some drama, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking a ten-time ARCA champion, Frank Kimmel, back through the years and around the track. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the Crosley Speed Sports Studios. This is Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Brady Mechanical Services, HVAC install, maintenance and repair, Brady Mechanical Service at gmail.com. ARCA Series champ, 10-time ARCA champ, Frank Kimmel on the line. Once again, here's Mike Wallace. Well, Frank, I just brought up your brother, Bill, because for some reason I thought he was the key to a lot of your success, only to find out he he was racing himself. And you said he got a little uh, little challenging over there at Louisville Motor Speedway? Yeah, he like I said, he had won four straight championships, and um, it, it was just really getting, you know, that running for championships are tough, you know, and, and it's it, it wears on you, and you're always – trying to, you know, concentrate and worry about what, what to finish the race and all that stuff and what the other guy's doing and whatever. But um, it was good, hard racing, and but he was he was pretty much done with it. He was tired and tired of doing all that arguing and yelling and, you know, that it takes to run a short track. Yeah, a short track, if you win a lot, they hate you, Jeff. Right. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're the villain, man. People don't even know you don't like you. I, I, was, a, I was an NASCAR yeah. fan in the 90s, yeah. Jeff Gordon, so yeah. there we go. <laughs> Exactly right. That's like people that hated Jimmy Johnson. I'm thinking, what is there to hate about Jimmy Johnson? Just the fact that he wins so much. Yeah, just, but, and I mean, that's, exactly, that's exactly what it was, because there's nothing hateable about Jimmy Johnson, right? Yeah, but it's I mean, the same thing on. in other sports, too. The Yankees, I hate the Yankees. Oh, yeah. You know, and for no, yeah. they haven't won anything in years, but I still hate them. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's and people love the Cowboys, and they haven't won anything in longer years. <laughs> All right, we're getting on, we're getting on different sports here, but uh, yeah, <laughs> there we go. Through the window, we're getting a little we excited. We got them riled up there. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I lost train of what thought. Was, what was yeah, he pointing so, at, Mike? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Anyway, I, I think, you know, Bill, like I said, he was ready to, to step away from Louisville and, and get away from it, and I needed a crew chief um, just because so much of the time with with sponsors and stuff takes it away from you, and, and you got to go and do that stuff. So, um, I, you know, I, I asked Larry, and, and we talked about it, and, and then we made Bill an offer to come and be our crew chief, and, uh, you know, he came, and, and you, you would know in 99 was our first year together, so we go to Daytona. We have a brand-new, to us, a Petty Pontiac, which was the car of choice in those days uh, on super speedways. So we really have an opportunity to, to try to win at Daytona, I feel like. And um, we get there, and uh, Mike, you'll remember the days of the real super tall springs, super soft, and no shock rules. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, we keep just cranking down the rear shocks, and every time we put another click in it, they go faster, and we just keep going faster and faster. I think we ended up like third fastest in practice, and uh, we get ready to qualify. And I said, is there anything left on the shocks? He said, well, you know, we can shut them off. He said, we're down to one click. 
And I said, oh, hell, I can drive it for a lap. I lied to him. <laughs> you lied. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, uh, coming for the white flag, I think it was, uh, come off the four. It bounced, and the rear tire stayed up in the fenders, and it, it went around, and I hit driver's side, you know, right off the turn four, you know, hospital corner, as, as Schrader used to call it. Hospital corner. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I end up, uh, I woke up at Halifax down there and uh, was uh, knocked pretty silly and you know, tore the car all to heck. And uh, so uh, kind of started our year rough. Uh, we battled all year long, and, and Bill Baird ended up beating us in the point standings that year. I think we finished second. And uh, just a lot of little things kept Biting, jumping up and biting. Hey, hey let me uh, back up a second, Jeff. You'll love this. When <laughs> Frank made the comment, he woke up at Halifax. Right. Right? Yeah. So for the average race fan out there that's listening has no idea, us drivers back in the day, we took some incredibly hard hits. Right. I mean, stupid hits. <laughs> no safer barrier. Yeah. No. no. <laughs> I mean, we hit the concrete like it was built to, built to be hit, you know? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> when he said that, wake up. I ended up in deals at Atlanta and Rockingham, both, that I woke up in the hospital after being transported to the hospital. With no memory. Oh, yeah. No memory. No Couldn't kid. tell you nothing yep. about it. Yikes. And, uh, I still don't remember you know, that. That day. explains a lot about you, though. Yeah, it does. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, in early era racing, we had our head rattled plenty of times. I can tell you that. <laughs> We're the best football players ever. What are we talking about here? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody get the phone. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No doubt. <laughs> so, uh, sorry to interrupt there, but a no, lot no, of people don't know did. that story. They don't know that drivers get hurt. And they, you know, back in the day, too, you would play hurt. You know, Dale, oh, Dale yeah. Earnhardt's the only one that made, Dale Earnhardt Jr. is the only one that made it cool. To say, hey, I don't think I should drive. I got a concussion. Then now, all of a sudden, if you if you don't feel right, you just tell somebody, and right. they right. give you a permission back slip. Then, and yeah. now, well, back then, though, Mike, right. Couple yeah, of well, I mean, you worried about. <laughs> my dad always told me to get paid to drive a race car. You know, and mm-hmm. you know, back in the day, that was difficult to do. He said, "Well, here's the here's the deal, son." He said, "When you go to the racetrack, they're paying you. They want you in their car because they think you can do something, and they think you can win." So if you go out and something breaks or somebody blows a motor in front of you and you hit the wall and it knocks you out or breaks your arm, breaks your leg, he said, you know, the next week they're going to have somebody else driving their car. They got to. That's their job. You can't be mad about it. Same token, they need to pay you. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it was true. I mean, that was you, you worried that uh, if you got out of that race car, somebody else get in there. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, Nine times out of ten, yeah. if you got out, somebody else ran better than you the next week. Too. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. It's always the driver's fault. Yeah. We've discussed that before. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so we'll get we off all that being hurt. I just kind of wanted to explain <laughs> that to everybody that that does happen. You yeah. do don't. You, sometimes you don't remember what you hit, and you wake up somewhere, and yep. literally you, you wake up there. So uh, <laughs> you guys had a little bit of a struggle. You said that year. Let's let's speed through the stuff now. So from that. Yeah. Yeah, so the following year we, you know, we come back and everybody's refreshed and we got our equipment ready to go and and we win the championship, won I don't know nine, ten races or something, and um, really started on a roll at that point. And Advanced Auto Parts was firmly behind us. Uh, something interesting, Mike. We, I think we had Advanced Auto Parts as a sponsor for three or four years, and we never had a contract. Can you imagine trying to do that today? No, I that's mean, amazing. That is amazing. I mean, that was such a good company to deal with. You know, they tell us what they were doing, and we tell them what we were going to do, and, and they'd say, okay, let's go. 
um, just a wonderful company to deal with. And uh, so, and then through that year, the, as the expenses kept rising, uh, we got the National Pork Board on board, a uh, great bunch of people. Um, and that's the trick of, of everybody talks about winning eight championships in a row or whatever. The, the trick of that all deal was keeping the team and the sponsor together for that many years. Um, and, and we were able to, we were very fortunate. They were very supportive. Um, and, uh, we had good race cars, good equipment, and we stayed ahead of the game for, for quite a while. Yeah. And you, you, at that time though, your race shops over in Indiana or Kentucky, right? So you're not right. It was in Indiana. Yeah. You're not kind of in the mainstream of what we call the NASCAR world, but what, what kept you guys up to date on things? What kept you ahead of competition at that time? Well, you know, and it's interesting that I, I didn't really realize that we were that far behind until I came down here to live, uh, which was only five years ago. Um, we, you know, Bill and I were racers, and that's all we did was race. So we, you know, you keep your nose to the ground. You try to watch and see what other people are doing. When when people like Ryan Newman or Kyle Busch would come and race against us, I'd go and talk to the crew chiefs. Bill would talk to them, and we would we would make friends with those guys because we knew they were there for three or four races and gone. Mm -hmm. And when they left, we made sure that we tried to help the, get them to help us as much as they could. And so we tried to stay up to date as, as much as we could, but, uh, we, we got behind and, you know, when at the end of the, of the deal with, with Bill and I, you know, we were three race, three years and hadn't won a race. And, you know, I'm, I'm closing in on 50 years old and, Am I too old? Have I hit my head too many times? You know, what's the deal? Um, and I, I truly believe at that point, we were just pretty far behind on race cars. Yeah. Okay. I, I understand. That's why I asked a question there. Yeah. So, so in what year would that have been? When did you realize you were behind? Well, you said we you hadn't uh, won in three years. Yeah, we hadn't won in three years. So like in 2012, I went and left. Kimmel Racing. Uh, Bill and I had moved, had split off into Kimmel Racing from Larry. Um, you know, big long story about all that, but it and uh, so we're racing as Kimmel Racing for two or three years and not winning, um, not doing very well. And uh, you know, at, at that point, Will Bill's son Will was ready to race and was and had been doing some racing. And Will, Bill was ready for Will to drive, and, and when it comes down to it, I really wasn't ready to quit. I was, I think, seven races away from breaking the record, which was 79, from Iggy Katona, and I felt like I could do that. Um, I was 49, but I, I felt like I was still ahead of the race car. You know how it is, Mike. You go to the racetrack, and, and, and you see guys out there, and you can see the race cars driving them. Mm -hmm. And I didn't feel like I had got to that point yet. And, uh, so, uh, I decided that I needed to do something different and that was really a tough decision. Terrible, you know, family thing, you know, how that goes and really Big blow up. Uh, oh my gosh. <laughs> it blowed up as they say. And, <laughs> trying yeah, to be funny. It, uh, trying to we, be funny. We backed her into the fence, you know, <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, the, my sponsor then was Menards and, uh, Jim Johnson, who was the gentleman that, that took care of us at that point, um, he said, would you be interested in talking to Thor Sport? And uh, I said, well, they've got trucks. They don't do ARCA. And uh, he said, well, 
let me, do you mind if I talk to him? I said, well, sir, you can talk to anybody you want. And uh, so he called, and a couple days later I was up there having a meeting with those people, and, uh, you know, it just was uh, it was kind of a life-changing deal. Um, I knew when I went in there that I would have the best race car that I could have in ARCA. And uh, and it showed. You know, we come back, and, and the next year I think we were in second to the Boynes, maybe to Chris Boucher, maybe. I think it was, and uh, and then uh, won two or three, four races that year, and then come back the following year and won the championship uh, and won the 80th race uh, at Kansas, the last race of the year. So, so that would have been 2013, cool. right? 2013, you won. Yes. Was that your last championship? Yes. Okay, yeah. so back me up a little bit because I missed something here. When did you <laughs> win the eight straight championships? Jeff, what was that? 2000 to 2007. 2000 correct and that that was driving for clements and bill and yourself at that time or was that that's who? right okay yeah okay i yep. i think i missed that and i think that's important to know when when you did that so then you got to menard or went to thor sports and it's unique we're talking that we had matt crafton on last week we certainly did. <laughs> talking about thor sports and uh yep. and you won your 80th race right. yep won the 80th race and it, like i say it was the championship weekend at kansas and uh uh, won the race and you know it was a pretty big deal really all right so we won won the race won the championship what what one goes on from there what's what's on uh, frank kimball's future at that point you know the 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 amount of sponsorship that that was coming with me at that point or that that the menards program was wasn't enough for thor sport and i knew that and but i think duke thorson who is a super guy that really took great care of me. Um, once he accomplished the goal that kind of Menards had set for me of winning championship a 10th championship and, and the 80th race, you know, he was saying he, uh, you know, he felt like, okay, I've done my deal. If you want this to continue, then we need to find some more money. And, uh, I couldn't blame him. I knew that what was we were spending wasn't enough, and um, and so it it kind of went to, you know, where he decided to go away from the Arca deal, and um, and then I I got a, a deal put together with Wintron, which was Kevin Sawinski, and we ran a year and ran a ran okay, not not too great, and then the following year uh, I actually drove for the Venturinis for half a season, uh, and Brandon Jones ran the other half a season. And, um, that, that went okay. I'm, I'm, I'm more of a need to be there full-time kind of guy. And uh, so, uh, neither one of us had won a, won a race that year. And then, uh, so the following year it was kind of pretty much over. And, uh, I, I ran one race for a company out of, up in Northern Indiana that didn't work out. And that was at Daytona. I think I finished fifth. And then I, uh, then I ran one more race for Cunningham. They needed somebody to drive their car at Salem. Uh, we were pretty fast, just didn't run very good, didn't finish very good. Gotcha. Hold that thought. We'll come back and finish up uh, that part of the career. Figure with that last championship in 2013, that was a hell of a run. Ten-time ARCA champion Frank Kimmel on the show. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media. 
Welcome back to the Crosley Speed Sports Studios. This is Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Brady Mechanical Services, HVAC install, maintenance, and repair. Brady Mechanical Service at gmail.com. We're talking to Frank Kimmel, 10-time ARCA champion. What's happening these days as he wrapped up his driving career? Once again, here's Mike Wallace. Yeah, Frank, so we, uh, we're to the point where every driver doesn't like. It's the end of their career. <clears throat> And uh, there's a next stage in it. But you, you're you a 10-time champion, Hall of Famer, 80 wins. I mean, oh, my God, incredible career. So after, you know, kind of you had mentioned right before we went to break that that was, that was the end of it. What what have you done since then? And where are you at? What's going on? Well, we worked. Uh, I actually, my daughter um, and son both went to school here in Charlotte and uh, – Frankie went to UNC Charlotte. Holly went to uh, Belmont Abbey. And so when they when they both graduated, they decided they were going to stay down here. Um, and then my daughter got married and, and decided to have a baby. And, and my wife said, uh, it's been about five years ago, said, I don't want to be an absentee grandma. Let's let's go there. So we sold everything in Indiana, and we moved to uh, Charlotte. And for a year, we lived with them in their house. And I'd bought a piece of property up here in Cheryl's Ford, which is near Mooresville. And uh, uh, so we built a house. My wife and I built a house there. And then they moved in with us for about a year and a half. And then they bought a piece of, we bought five acres, and they got an acre from us. And they uh, built their house just right across the property from us. So it's a really nice little deal. We're all together. And, and Holly's had a second baby, a little boy now. So we got a granddaughter and a grandson and uh, we see him donna watches them every day and uh, every night when i get home from work they're usually at the house so it's uh it's really really neat and uh, so it's been good I, I worked for brad keselowski for a year when i was came down here um then for a couple of years i worked for the ventrinis um we were able to win a championship there uh, i think it was the first championship for them since uh, big bill raced and uh, and then i went to um I started, uh, went to a deal with KBR Development, and about the same exact time that hit, uh, COVID hit, and uh, that stopped that deal. So I needed another job, and uh, I had some family and friends here that, that worked at uh, David Gillen Racing, and they told me to come talk to David, and I did, and I've been here now for three years, almost three years, and uh, it's a great place to work. It's 15 minutes from home, and uh, they treat me really well, and I'm still in the ARCA deal, and, and uh, so it's it's been really good. Well, tell us a little bit about David Gilliland Racing, because I, I mentioned before the show started that I had watched a truck race. Uh, I want to say they won that truck race. They were the, the announcers doing the show were very complimentary of what's happening at David Gilliland Racing. So it sounds like a sounds like they got it going on. It well, he really does. I mean, this is a. Uh, a full complex now we we've got uh um we've got three truck teams that come out of here every race um we have a full-time arca team we have a late model program uh they have a full fab shop just the next building over where they're building chassis from you know frame rails all the way up to the bodies and uh, uh we've got steve levitt works for us down there and and uh, mike knows who that is and uh, no sharper guy when it comes to chassis and stuff, and uh, just uh, a really, really good bunch. And uh, so we're fully serviced here. We can do anything we need, and 
it's been showing. We're racing our own chassis now uh, on the truck series, and we've just started running our own chassis in the ARCA series this year. Uh, I think we've won three times this year with ARCA and with uh, Taylor Gray, who's 17, uh, showing a lot of promise, doing a really good job. And uh, the truck team has been really strong. I think they've won three or four races this year, too. So uh, that 38 truck uh, this past weekend, uh, they asked me to stay and spot one of the corners there at mid-Ohio. Um Although that truck's a front row truck, you know the the chassis and the body and everything comes out of out of our shop, so uh, it's uh, it's kind of a satellite deal for us too. But that thirty eight truck just does it stay in your shop or is it kept over at front row? It stays at front row, um, and like I say, for any kind of damage or anything major that it comes here for for the anything done to the frame or our bodies and stuff, it all comes out of here. So. Um, something you'll be interested in, Mike, that you might know. A few weeks ago, I don't know, at the beginning of the year, Bob Shatt, uh, do you remember the name Bob Shatt? I I'm do. Sure you do. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. Bob, you know, great old racer, been around forever. Um, and um, he started a series, uh, Grand National Super Series, I think it's called. Kind of an interesting concept because it takes older cars that are plentiful down here. Um, you can bring pretty much any motor you want. And he'll put a restrictor plate on it, and you can go race. Um, so he has three of his own cars that runs, and uh, he uh, he wanted me to come and do a, a, a guest drive for him early in the year, and it rained out the race. And then the next race, um, Clay Rogers, which I'm sure you know that name, oh, yeah. Clay. He had I was out of town, so he had Clay come and drive it. Well, Clay won both races, and, and you get two 50 lap races every racetrack. And um, I think there was like 10 or 12 cars that show up right now. And I think this past race they had 15. So it's kind of growing. And um, so then I got to go to Tri-County. Bob uh, was uh, driving also. And uh, he goes to open his garage door and steps on a snake (laughs) and looks down. And it scares him. So he starts backing up. He trips on some boxes and breaks his wrist. (laughs) Oh, my God. You can needless to say, if anybody knows Bob, knew what was coming out of his mouth at this point, it wasn't good. And, uh, of course, I made fun of him every chance I get. But uh, he called me and said, hey, I need you to uh, come and race. So I went to Tri-County a few weeks ago and, and uh, got the win. So that was cool. Uh, I told uh, Clay and I had talked about it. Clay was there that night. Clay went finished second. And uh, – he said, you know, Frank, he said, this is fun. He said, but I'd kind of got over the driving thing. You know, it'd been four or five years for either one of us had really driven any kind of race car. And he said, so I'm, I'm kind of over it. And he said, but man, getting back in it, 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 it's bad, you know? And I said, yeah, I understand. And about the second practice, I walked over to him and told him, I said, you know, I, I'm starting to remember why I like this. And, uh, yeah. and it's not good. You know, it's just not good. That's so, scary. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. So I'm supposed to race uh, this past weekend. It rained out. And so I think this weekend I'm going to race it again uh, over at, I think it's Goodyear Motorsports Park or something in uh, Jacksonville. I think it's it's Jacksonville, uh, North Carolina. It's like four hours from here or something. Mm-hmm. So You know, I read a little so bit about it, that the other day, about that series. I, I hope it's a big success because, like you mentioned, there's plenty of race cars around. and Yeah, and he's trying his best to make it where – yeah. yeah, it's just fun, you know, and it, it pays, I think it's pays 750 to win each race. So it's not great, but it's not bad. Yeah. And, 
you can go and, and don't have to spend a whole lot of money and, and go enjoy yourself. And, uh, so do we see, cool. with that being said, and you and Clay talking, and Clay Rogers, I love him to death. He, he used to take care of my, help my son Matt race. And anytime uh-huh. Clay went with Matt, they'd win or run up front every, every time. It yeah. was like there was a light switch that hooked those two together, you yeah. know. And uh, yeah. so after getting back in the car, do we see Frank Kimmel making a little bit more serious return to being a driver? Or? <laughs> no, I, you know, it, that wasn't confident enough that. just to let you know. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I, I enjoy doing it. And, and, and Bob is like I say injured right now. So he, he needs somebody to help him. So, uh, when I'm in town and, and if he's available, if it's available, I'll do it. But, um, I don't know, uh, Mike. It's just it. In order to do it, you really got to go do it. You know what right. I mean? It's like anything else. And uh, um, you know, I, I, I this is just uh, just about enough. I mean, you know, once a race, once a month, maybe for two or three months, that'd be fine. <laughs> you know what needs to happen? We need to talk to our friend Tony Stewart, who's been on this show, and get Frank in the SRX series. Huh? <laughs> you know, well, Frank was, and a lot of people. In the race, everybody in the race world knows this. A lot of people that are listening around the world don't realize this. Frank was one of the very first, or the only one ever, to represent the ARCA series in the old IROC series, oh, no which is basically the SRX series. It today. really is. I mean, yeah. yeah. No, so, I, I remember going to those races back in the day. Yeah. Good stuff. So the nice thing, yeah, yep. Frank, talking, doing this show with Jeff, he's a race fan. Besides all of his you know, accolades from the radio world. He, he knows everything everybody's talking about. And I was a huge fan. I, mean, <laughs> I was a rabid cool. NASCAR fan in the in the 90s, all throughout the 90s, into the 2000s anyway. My kids started playing baseball, and I got sidetracked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mike, I'm sure you remember, I mean, when that – people always ask you what's your, I don't know, best deal, whatever happened to you, what's your most memorable thing. And I said, well, being invited to do the IROC deal was by far the best. I mean, that was uh, – that was a pretty big deal, and because uh, I remember going back in the late or early '70s with my dad as a kid and see uh, True Value suits, you know, uniforms coming through there with Foyt and Andretti and all those guys. I'm thinking, holy smokes, that's really bad. You know, that's badass right there. So uh, that was a pretty cool deal for sure. Well, that's nothing cool. but kudos to you for that. I mean, there's there's a point in your career I know as a driver that. Uh, you like to be acknowledged or like that. You like to be invited to things like that. I I sent yeah. Frank a note the other day, asked him to be on the show here, and I says, congratulations on the Hall of Fame deal. I said, I would give anything to be in a Hall of Fame. That's a yeah. big deal. Absolutely. You know, it's something that your peers and people go, you're one of the that, best that there was. That means you've reached the pinnacle of the sport. Frank, here's a question for you. How often do you get to sit down and actually watch a NASCAR race anymore? <laughs> well, see, my son now, is he spots for Daniel Suarez. Gotcha. And um, so he's he's become really really a good spotter, and uh, you know he's been doing this all his life also, and uh, so it's that's kind of changed the way I watch NASCAR races because I might watch I don't know the first 20 laps and go out and cut grass or something you know typical deal just kind of hit and miss with it, but now with him spotting and I can listen on the NASCAR app, uh, so I'll I'll sit down and turn the race on and turn the, the NASCAR app on on my phone and listen to him spot the whole race. Uh, so it's it's really changed things. Now, just to let you know, I'm, this takes an old guy to teach you these <laughs> tricks. Get you a Bose noise-canceling headset, pair it to your phone, 
and you can go cut grass and listen to the race. Wow. <laughs> you know, that might be great because normally it's halfway through these races my grandkids come in. So then it's all the heck breaks loose then. Hey, so. tell, let, let's share that moment right now as we're getting close to ending the show. We both uh, have grandchildren now. It sounds like we both have a, a boy and a girl. Well, what do you think about that li- life right now? That's That's a great time, isn't it? I'm telling you what, Mike, I, I tell people all the time, if I'd known the grandkids were going to be this good, I'd have had them first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Yeah. 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 <laughs> they are they are wonderful kids, and it's so much. You know, when we had our kids, Mike, you just worry about making a living. You know, you're trying to bring put bread on the table and, and pay the bills and all that. Now that we're at the age we're at, our, our, we just that doesn't matter. You know, if I want to go watch them play or whatever, I'll, I'll just go do it and it's it's cool that's so cool you just said that because i've compared notes to people recently because really my grandkids are like almost everything to me right now well and i that's what my wife said something i says well carly you got to remember when our kids were being raised you were a great mom first and foremost i says but i was trying to make a career i was trying to make a living for our family and now we've done that so now we can have fun move on yeah move on yeah (laughs) yeah with well, it's no been, pressure yeah. at all. Yeah. It, it's been an incredible time talking with you, Frank, and I've learned a lot about your career. And hopefully, we can have you back on some other time and pick up. We, we you know, we just highlight things. But as Jeff has yeah. helped create here, people from around the world listen to our show. So, um, well, the whole world is listening, Frank. So, you well, what f- you what you all don't another quick, real quick note, side note, sidebar. Uh, <laughs> I won two times at Talladega. The second time, Mike Wallace won the race for me. So, now how did that he, happen? Uh, he, we were, I don't know, we were kind of back in the pack a little bit, and we needed to go to the front. And Mike got behind me, and we both were headed to the front. So the worst thing about it for Mike was the guy that we drafted by right at the end of the. It ended up, I think it did it because of darkness you or something. Got like darkness as I was getting ready to yeah. drive around outside. Oh, no of you. <laughs> yeah, well, no, he was. He thought he was going to drive around the outside, but he didn't know that. So, but the guy that was leading the race was Stephen Wallace. Yep. That we both went by. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I've heard about it. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you have. <laughs> you talked earlier about family, family turmoils. Stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, but, but no, I mean, it was funny uh, how much Mike and I raced against each other a few times and. Uh, just race, race hard and race with respect. It's a, it's a pretty cool time. All right. Well, hey, tell those guys over at DGR, uh, Mike Wallace would like to have one more shot at a truck race. So if you, you come up with an opening, <laughs> he's ready to get back in. in. Line. Yeah. You got me all pumped up now. <laughs> all right. Th- thank you, Frank. Best of luck in the future. All right, guys. Enjoy them, Thanks for me on. Absolutely. All You've right. been listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media. We'll see you next week.